What's in a Name is the title of this series, and um, there's such significance to names. Even in our society, that still rings true, but specifically, uh, biblical names are very, very intentional. Um, maybe you have spent time reading in the First Testament, the Old Testament, and almost with every name, the first time it appears, whether it's to a person whether it's to a place, there's a little footnote, or maybe it's even in parentheses, kind of describing that name. Well, the same is true for God. We get the word God, the three-letter term, and if you're like me, you, you pray, dear God, or hey God, or help God, or now God, you know, we've got our, our, our prayers. But God is, is uh, not ambiguous of a name. But it does need some details. It does need some specifics and some descriptions for us to truly step into understanding his nature towards us. And so this month, we're going to look at four descriptive names of God. Now, I've chosen four names that all begin with, with a bit of a directional statement, Jehovah, which means relational and then it'll come with, an, with another description, which is really the emphasis of the name. Today's name is Jehovah Shalom. Shalom first appears in Judges chapter 6, verse 24. We'll get there in just a moment. But the message today, the direction today is the Lord is peace. It's part of God's personality. It's part of God's nature towards us is that um, he's not a God of panic. He's not a God of anxiety. He's not a God of fear. He's a God of peace. And so we're going to discuss a bit more about that. But one of the ways we can understand this, you know the significance of names. You probably participated in either being nicknamed or nicknaming somebody. I was reflecting on, on the power of a nickname. The, the power of a nickname, whether it's one you got when you were born and grew up with as a child, enduring that nickname. For your parents, it might have been endearing, but for you, it was enduring every time they called you by that name. Or maybe there was a grandparent or a friend or a school or a, a sports team, and they came up with a phrase or just a quick little go-to. I remember in high school, our family moved to Seymour, Indiana. Farm country. You familiar with Seymour? It's an hour north. Cornfield upon cornfield upon cornfield and Walmart and cornfield and cornfield. <laughs> And, and I moved up. I, I had, we had come over from, the, um, from South Africa, and I, w I was adjusting my accent to try to, you know, find its place. I sounded like, a, you know, a Brit, and I needed to find my uh, language and my accent. And so by the time I arrived as a freshman at Seymour High School with my corduroy shorts, flip-flops, billabong surfer shirt, Hair past my ears and parted neatly in the middle, which, strangely enough, is coming back. You can imagine, they didn't nickname me Farmer Paul. My nickname was Dude. And all my teammates affectionately referred to me as Dude. It was also the word I used to get the ball on the soccer field. I could yell it, scream it, say it calmly, but I would say, Dude, 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 give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. And dude was a nickname they gave me. And, and it's a way of understanding, yeah, a little bit of my personality for sure. A little bit of my exterior just, just was a quick reference point. 
Now, that's the nickname I choose to share with you from the platform at church. Other nicknames, they'll remain private. But maybe you have some familiarity with the nickname. What it does is it brings to mind a memory, brings to mind an experience. It's kind of a mark for you on the journey of life. Well, in a far more significant and sacred way, God was appropriated names in the story of Israel all the way from Genesis through the entirety of the First Testament, and even the coming of Christ, the Messiah, God with skin on here. He would be given appropriate names that detailed part of his nature. Now, these aren't nicknames, these names that we'll cover, but in a way, they do provide a window into the journey that the people of God were experiencing, but even more importantly, they provide a window into God's nature towards us. It should be noted, like it should be noted for all of us, we have kind of a, a, a first formation in our spirituality. Like our earliest thoughts about God, many times they're marked by a, by a parent figure or a guardian and sometimes in, in the length of life, um, we've, we've got to be reformed in our thinking when it comes to God. Um, I don't know if you've ever encountered, I've, I've encountered many people who, uh, they want nothing to do with the church. Now that's got all its own reasons. But many times they want nothing to do with God. And it's wild because I can almost say to them, oh, I don't believe in, I don't believe in that God either. He wakes up mad. He's always hangry. He's frustrated. I mean, he loves you just because he has to, but he doesn't like being around you. He reminds you more of, you know, a movie character than a person that's described in the Bible. And I'll even say sometimes, I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that God either. Starting place for me is Jesus. As I approach my Bible, it's always Jesus. That's what all Christians have done for 2,000 years. We don't get to make up what God is like. We understand what God is like. First and foremost, top priority is Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, starting place. And then through Christ, here's the beautiful thing. Through Christ, I've been grafted into the story of God. And so I'm sponsored to get in the Old Testament and to look at some of these books in the Bible Look at some of these descriptives of the Bible, but always, first and foremost, my filter is Christ. And so these names that I've chosen, I want to tell you, they are fully Jesus approved. They're going to reveal parts of the nature of God. Today's is the Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom. It's got a nice ring to it. Shalom is still a greeting that is used in Israel. And in some Jewish communities. It's, it's not, hi, how you? What's up? How you doing? Bruh, that's not it. Okay. It is shalom, which is to be full of peace and to be experiencing peace. And it's under the banner of God's love and peace towards his people. Shalom, we'll bring it up really quickly. Get your mind around it. It is wholeness. It is completeness. It is well-being. If you think about your good days, you're experiencing some good old-fashioned God-given shalom. It's more than just peace that is fleeting and that is tethered to happiness. 
To experience shalom is to experience the living God in a supernatural way and walking and resting and living in your decisions and in your relationships and your friendships, being covered in, in the wholeness of God, the peace of God. And so in Israel, they actually will greet one another with this term. And it is a hope. I pray. I want you to experience this. And it's also a reminder that this is the truth over our life. And we get it out of an obscure book in the First Testament. An interesting book for peace to show up is the book of Judges. In chapter 6, verse 24, where Gideon has built an altar and meets with God in that place. And it's from there that he says, Jehovah Shalom. He marked that altar, marked that moment, marked that experience with this name of God, Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. Now, here's what's interesting. If you have your Bibles, the book of Judges, like if you're like, Pastor, I need a book that is going to help me experience God's peace. Like, I'm not going to pick Judges. That is not exactly the most peaceful book. In fact, sometimes I read Judges, and I'm left with more questions than answers. It goes in my mystery pile. Like, it's a mystery, and in heaven, we're going to cover it. But right now, i got more questions than answers. Judges is full of judgment. It is the story of Israel. In, in actuality, the book of Judges, seven books into the First Testament, the book of Judges stands as a bit of a vision for the whole First Testament. It is cyclical in nature, meaning a moment happens. Typically, things are good. Israel loves God. They're in the promised land this time. They're living for God, loving God, serving Him, and then they're not. They turn from God. They run in the other direction. They break relationship. They chase idols. Well, God gives them over to their choices. God's like, look, free will's a thing. You want that? You get that? You get what it has come into you. And so they kind of dwell in their difficulties and problems. And then they repent. They return. They come back to God. God sends a judge, a.k.a. a deliverer, that frees them and leads them back to God. Got it? Get it? Good. It's a cycle. It's just on repeat. The whole of Judges is deliverer after deliverer after deliverer. Gideon is the particular judge that we read about in Genesis 6, 7, and 8. And the people oppressing the people, oppressing the people of God are the Midianites. And in Judges chapter 6, 1 and 2, you'll get a little bit of the pattern. Here's what it says. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. Here's Israel in the promised land. The book before Judges is Joshua. Joshua is leading them and has led Israel into the promised land that God had set apart and orchestrated for them to inhabit. And here they are in the promised land. Little side note, in the promised land, you'll still have problems. And in the promised land, Israel is now experiencing their own problems that they have created. No show of hands, but we'll all invisibly raise them. You ever created some problems for yourself? Ever been sitting and living in your own consequences? <sighs> Hear this. You're not alone, and it's not hopeless. We serve a God who meets us in the chaos and in the consequences of our problems. 
Judges is actually a beautiful picture. Again, it can be a hard read at times, but it's a beautiful picture of people who chase after the circumstances, situations of this world, do things in their own strength. They trust in idols and neighboring gods. God, he doesn't want them to, but he lovingly lets them experience what they've chosen. You know, God is doing that right now. Sometimes the choices we make, we actually experience things. But you know what's wild? We can always return. We can always turn back to God. And it's in this moment that Gideon is being visited by God. The angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord at the time, he comes and he finds Gideon. And in the promised land, what we just read in Judges 6 verse 2, it says that Israel was not enjoying the promised land. Notice they were, <laughs> they were living in dens. They were living in caves. They were living in strongholds that they had to fortify to protect them from the Midianites. And here's Gideon. Verses will continue. You can read the story later. But Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. Wine presses are made for enjoying wine, not wheat. They give you wine, not wheat. And here Gideon is. What is he doing? He's trying to feed his family, trying to take care of himself and others. But he knows if he goes threshing wheat out in the fields, the Midianites are going to come and get him and oppress him. But here is what's so striking. It's in the chaos, one of the most chaotic books of the entire First Testament. What do we get? We get one of the most, I think, appealing and powerful names of God, Jehovah Shalom. Any other book would have possibly been more peaceful. Any other book would may have been a better referencing point in my mind. And yet it's a beautiful picture that in the chaos of the nation of Israel at this time, the chaos of the very people who God had adopted as his own, in the midst of their difficulties, in the midst of their trials, in the midst of their circumstances, God has not abandoned them nor forsaken them. He is right there with them, and he comes again to their rescue and reveals himself as the God of peace. The Lord is peace. Judges 6.24, here's the line. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. See, Judges and Gideon, for me, it serves. I believe for all of us, it serves as an invitation. You know how God works? Invitation only. This book is filled with invitations. We all have an invitation to follow in his ways, to follow his lead, to follow his word, to follow his spirit. Gideon, the book of Judges, it serves as an invitation and a warning to each of us. Israel was in chaos. I love this, though. It's so relatable, maybe just for me, but hopefully for you. Can we bring up Gideon is an invitation. Those three quick thoughts, let me touch on them. Israel was in chaos. Chaos. Things are not going their way. Things have not moved in their direction. They have been given over to themselves. Yeah, there it is. Judges 6, 1 through 2. The second thought here is that Gideon was least of these. And I call this shame. Like I call this living under the, the finger pointing accusation of the evil one. Gideon has an inner tension going on. God has come across to him and called him out and is wanting to set him apart, to lead his people, to help deliver, and he's too filled with less than thinking. 
It's called the distance. It's caused the distance between him and God and, of course, the people in God. They're wallowing. They're kind of wailing in their brokenness. So much so that it's the identity they have. Like God has come knocking on the door of Gideon's heart and his response is, I'm the least of these. I'm from the last tribe of Israel. I'm the youngest in my family. AKA, what are you thinking, God? And then Gideon needed God. Judges 6, 21 through 24. When he pushes through that, he's living in the reality that he is needing God's help. Needing God's strength to change. And I want to take quick reference out of this particular verse. I'm not going to share the whole story of Gideon. But I want to highlight what Gideon did, how he responded. First, where God met him in that place was at the altar. A-L-T-A-R. Altars were sacred, especially at this time, in, in, in Israel's relationship with God that was still forming that they were still growing and learning and discovering. In that relationship, the altar was a physical place. It was a, 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 a allotted area that was marked, if you will. You may want to just call it like a holy place or a holy site. And it's where God's presence would meet on earth. Temples, other religions, it's a similar concept, and it's the place that their, their, their gods would be present. Well, for the Jewish people, Israel was a promised land. And at this juncture in time, they had set up altars to false gods, other places. And after this encounter, one of Gideon's first moves was to tear down the idols, tear down the false gods, tear down the false altars. For us to move closer to the peace that passes all understanding... We have to do like Gideon did and build an altar to the Lord and remove, remove from ourselves the idols that we have trusted in. It's a, it's a profound truth, a profound point, and it doesn't happen overnight like it does for Gideon. But one of the things that begins to happen in our lives with God is that idols that we've worshipped, idols that we've lived for, idols that we've trusted in, begin to have less and less and less of a hold over our lives. The idols really haven't changed that much in, my goodness, the thousands of years since Gideon. War, violence, money, trusting in one's own intellect and strength, all of those serve as idols. And God's first order with Gideon was build an altar. And in that place where he built an altar, he experienced the peace of God. That's my first thought. Build an altar. We need to hear today. Build an altar. No substitute for the secret place with the Lord. To experience Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace, the relational God who gives us and breathes peace, if you will, in our direction is to encounter the living God. Many times we're, we're, we're kind of just happy with the way life is going. I get it. Don't take it for granted. Enjoy it. But in the chaos of life, how do we respond? Where do we go? To whom shall we run? We do what Gideon did and built an altar to the Lord. I was running this just kind of in my mind, thinking about it this week. There's no substitute 
for the secret place with the Lord. There's no substitute for the secret place with the Lord. Like that relationship with Jesus, that relationship with God. Like we don't leave here today, right? We're going to be familiar with Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. It's one thing to know it here, and it's another thing to walk it in your life. For the reactivity of your life to be that of peace, to be that of calm, to be that of um, God's presence versus the reaction and anxiety and anger and frustration that maybe we had made part of our life for decades. God invites us, follow me, follow my ways, follow my word. And we see this in Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is peace. Gideon built an altar, built an altar. That supernatural revelation of God in your life. There's nothing for it. There's no substitute for it. I want to encourage you that many times, listen, what happens in our weekly rhythms, we get about 70 minutes on a Sunday, and then we take the rest of the week to do it in our own strength. God is wanting for you to encounter him daily. He's wanting for you to walk in relationship with him, to have a private, if you will, secret place with him. It's a place where you discover how to hear his voice. It's a place where you discover to experience his peace that truly passes all understanding. And it's many times that in the seasons of chaos, in the seasons of difficulty, in the circumstances that surround us that are hard and we, we kind of title a valley or wilderness season, it's in those moments that God is wanting to reveal himself and who he is in and through your life. I stepped in, truly stepped in to understanding Jehovah Shalom through some of the most difficult moments of my life. Some of the difficult experiences, some of the experiences, if I had a forecast app, I'd have said, well, let's skip that day. I'm not going to leave the house on that day. I'm not going to take that call that day. Because... They're hard, they're difficult, they're, they're, they're trying, they're testing. But can I tell you, some of the most difficult moments of our life, God is in a place to reveal his heart, his love towards us. The book of Judges is a bit of a mirror for our lives in some ways. Maybe you came in today with a bit of chaos going on, a bit of frenetic energy, a bit of anxiety, a bit of difficulty. Circumstances you really don't want to wish on anybody else. It's just a hard, it's a trudge, it's a difficult time. Israel experienced that in Judges. Man, they were feeling the consequences, the weight of their brokenness and their difficulty. But they cried out, they called out to God. God met with Gideon. Gideon built an altar. He recognized the need for God's presence. I was thinking about peaceful people. I was thinking about the peace of God and I was reflecting on whitewater rafting. You ever been whitewater rafting before? And I even went as far as earlier looking up some pictures of whitewater rafting. You could really tell a lot about people in a photograph, can't you? And I was thinking about peace, and I just, I don't know why I went there, but I, I, I participated in whitewater rafting, one of the most fun slash panic moments of my life. But at 11 years, over 30, 30 years ago now, Whitewater rafting, a new river in West Virginia, somebody. 
And you can look up pictures of whitewater rafting. You get a glimpse of what's going on in everybody's face. You've got the screamer, you know, their oars like above their head. You know, you've got the quiet, mild, silent type. Theirs is all in the eyes. <laughs> and then you've got this confident, calm, peaceful presence. They're not in the front of the boat. They're in the back of the boat sitting on a cooler. They're the guide who's leading this family or frenemies down the river through rapids, rocks, difficulty. But here's what's wild. In order to be in that position, he had to pass all the exams. He had to go through swimming tests. He had to go through the rapids himself. He's experienced all of it. And here's what's wild. He knows right where you are on the leg of the journey. And I was thinking about the invitation God gives us through relationship, through experience with him, that when we're facing the rapids of life, so often we're like trying to do the or thing and get it, get it out, get us through it. And God is in the back, if you will, calm, filled with peace, reassuring our hearts that he's going to lead us through this bend in the river. He's going to lead us through this passage and into green pastures, into calmer waters. It's the shalom of God, and it's an invitation that you and I have to experience him in relationship. Like, it's one thing to know a name of God, and then it's one thing to, along the journey of life, have these marked moments where you've kind of set up memorial stones. Like, I know God is faithful. I know he is true. I know he's, he, he will come through time and time and time again. But it begins by building an altar, and then I've alluded to him, and then we'll close. These other two are cast off shame. I think one of the greatest barriers for people experiencing relationship with God is shame. Is shame. Gideon, when God called him and God set him apart and actually declared over him, you are a mighty man of valor. Gideon's first response was not, yes, I am. His first response is, you got the wrong God. That's not me. Can I tell you, those are the words shame places in your heart. Those are the words the accuser, Satan, comes around and tells you how you never measure up. You never will. God's going to take care of everybody else but you. You've done too many things wrong. You can't be forgiven. It's that voice of shame. And it gets lodged in our subconscious. And so here's what happens. When a chaotic moment happens, we get overcome with what's on the inside in our subconscious. And we think, man, we've been forsaken. We're abandoned. I'm going to panic. And we have to work on the inside in reminding ourselves, declaring over ourselves, Jehovah Shalom is my portion. Because he is my portion, I am now experiencing his peace that passes all understanding. That I can indeed be governed and led and follow a good shepherd who's told me that I lack nothing, who's told me that he'll lead me beyond quiet waters to green pastures. He's about calming me down. It's pushing through the shame, pushing through the lies of the enemy. 
Jehovah Shalom. And that third, that last thought is call out to God. Call out to God. Call out to God. When we're looking to experience peace, we must continue, excuse me, continue positioning ourselves in prayer. There's no substitute, no substitute for the secret place with God. The most peaceful Christians I've ever known are some of the most prayerful Christians I've ever known. Like maybe the truth that can unlock this journey for you is there's a peaceful portion in your walk with God. There's a peaceful portion in your walk with God. And I want to encourage you as I close, just land this plane. Inside your worship guide, and these will be online as well, we've created these participants guide. As I was thinking about this series, I was reminded and reflecting on discipleship in our following of Jesus. You know, we're followers of Jesus, but we're not following Jesus like the disciples did. They got the physical Jesus of Nazareth. They actually had to physically move around with him. They were in his presence perpetually learning and growing. It was, it was the ministry and the ways at the time. But discipleship has always been threefold. It was the same for Jesus' day. First, you receive information. Second, you practice the information you've received. And then third, you reflect upon the practice you've been practicing. Probably didn't come as a shock or surprise, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace to you. But I would say in our culture today, the second two, the practice and the reflection are lacking. Many times we know truths about God, but we're not practicing those truths in our daily lives. And so we've created this participant's guide as an encouragement, a simple way. Each date from today through next Saturday has a verse corresponding with it. One short Simple, sweet verse for you to pray and to let land on your soul. That it may grow roots on the inside for the stage of life that you're in. That you would encounter and experience the peace of God. And here's what's going to happen. You get to practice these verses on other people. Because in case you didn't know, some of the chaos you're going to encounter this week is from some other people. It's from summertime with the kiddos. It's from traffic and vacation. It's from financial surprises from the doctor or the dentist or the foot doctor or the hand doctor or the neck doctor or the back doctor. You name it, we're practicing it this week. We get to practice the ones we've been worshiping. And so here's what happens. When we trust God as peace, we know that he is faithful time and time again. We know that he is the one who whispered to the chaos around, peace be still. And so what we know is we begin to trust him in a greater dimension that no matter what we face or our family or our friends or the lives of ones we know face, we don't have to be driven towards panic. We can remain in peace. And I want to encourage you, over time, 
you'll begin to experience this and it'll begin to take roots in your life and begin to spread. It will spiderweb to every arena that no matter what trial or tribulation or difficulty, you can take a deep breath, slow down and walk in the supernatural peace of God. I mean, think of some of these verses. Peace be still. The Lord is peace. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. We serve a relational God who wants to encounter us this week. My prayer and my hope is that this series will serve as a, as a daily participation in experiencing the name because the name we hear is the nature of our God. Our circumstances are yelling at us. They want to define us. They want to tell us who we are. We don't need to listen. We can trust the truth of who God says that we are, and we can walk in his eternal peace. Amen.